But as a pastor of our church, I love the fact that I get to brag on you guys wherever I go, and I get to brag on God, because I, I go into our community. In fact, I go to other places in our country, and they've heard about you guys. It's really amazing. And like, how does such a special thing like Lifehouse happen in a small town? And I get to tell them about how our people love so well, and they're so generous, and they serve, and they invite people. And like, it doesn't matter who you are, you can come to our church. In fact, I hear this all the time. I've heard this since we started our church. Listen, I want to come and visit Lifehouse, and you, maybe you've said this, you were the ones that said this to me, but if I walk in the doors of that place, the roof will fall down on me. I've heard that so many times, and I say the same thing every time. If you walk into our place, you'll look around and see people that the roof would have already fell in if that was true, because we're all kind of a mess. But I get to brag on you guys because it's just such an amazing place to be a part of. In fact, this week I was at one of the local school boards and they asked me to come and speak about that Be Rich thing we did, the For the Students. And if you don't know what that is, um, about a month ago, we decided to take 100 students, 25 from Crestview, 25 from Lincoln View, and 50 students um, from Van Wert um, Middle School and take them on a shopping spree where they could buy the most essential things like shoes and socks and coats and we paired them up with an adult and it was this overwhelming thing and we needed to raise $25,000 to do that. We took all these students shopping but you all raised more than that. You didn't raise $25,000. I mean, this is overwhelming. You raised $40,000 and I was able to give the, each of the schools another $6,500 on behalf of you guys to fill up their clothes closets and their hygiene closets because they just have those needs. And they asked me to come and speak at one of the local school boards. I, and there, I found myself there again. I'm just bragging on you guys because so many of you decided to be generous and to love and to give. And it was wonderful. And here's why that is so wonderful. Because when you give, we get to give that way. It's spontaneous, Right? We're handing out checks that people don't expect and it's a need that needs to be met and it's a surprise and it's spontaneous and it's really just kind of wonderful. But when we think about things like be rich in our community, in our church, you just need to know that that is not necessarily a Christian thing when we give spontaneously like that. It's a really good thing, but it's not just a Christian thing. In fact, it's kind of an American thing. That we see a need and we give to a need that needs to be met. You know, our hearts get tugged. We see there's some urgency. And that's what a lot of Americans do. And we would, we would call that giving 1.0. Giving directly to help immediately. And if there's an earthquake in another part of our country, if there's a hurricane, if we know something that has a cancer issue, a health issue, you know, we put up a GoFundMe page and you know, we're in. We're pretty good at that as Americans. We see a need and we meet a need. And that's really good and we should do that. And we do that with Be Rich. We meet needs in our community because we think that's important. And what it does for us is it sparks something in us to go, you know what? Being generous feels good and it is good. And that's why we were able to give 40000 thousand dollars away for students last month amazing it's why in the lobby there's all those christmas trees with names of families from our community that just need some help providing christmas for their kids and their families it's why you all sent out over 350 shoe boxes across the planet to help kids know that god loves them it is giving 1.0 you see a need and we meet a need now, there's another kind of giving, and it's kind of I want to talk about today. And as I jump in, I want you to know what I'm going to talk about usually causes tension in churches, and people get a little weirded out by it, and I need you to know I'm not weirded out about this at all. I just want to talk about this. And if you're a visitor, you get to watch us walk through this as a church together, because we think church is kind of like a family, and we should talk about family things together. 
So giving 1.0 is when you give to a need, but there's another kind of giving that we call it giving 2.0. And giving 2.0 is this, that you have planned givers, you have percentage givers, and you have priority givers. Let me just tell you what that means. Planned giving is you've taken the time ahead of time to decide where your generosity goes. A percentage giver is when you decide, I'm gonna take a percentage of what I have and I'm gonna give it to a priority in my life. And the priority is simply this. And this is hard for us. This is why we don't like to talk about this. Priority says, before I spend my money on me and my kids and another vacation, and even paying the bills, which is really important to pay your bills, I'm gonna make sure I have a plan for where my money goes in far in in terms of what I care about. And again, you guys have done so good at this. This is why we don't have to pass the buckets. Once upon a time, we had buckets. We passed them through all the aisles and we put money in and some of you felt guilty every time and it was weird when you invited someone because now there's a bucket in front of them. Because some of you are so good at this, we got rid of the buckets and you guys decided to give online and do that whole reoccurring thing and it's so much easier not to pass the buckets. And some of you have decided this. You decided I'm going to do for other people what was done for me in this church. Because your story is I showed up at Lifehouse and I didn't think I had a chance with God. And then I found out God loved me and now my life has changed. And I want somebody else to have that experience. Maybe for you it's I look at the little kids that come in this place. There's 300 kids and students that are going to be in the building today. And I want to make sure the next generation knows that they're loved by God. And I want to resource that. The other part of that is planned giving makes spontaneous giving possible. And you all are smart people. You know this, right? You can't give all your money away when you collect it like something for Be Rich if you're worried about how you're going to pay for the bills and the lights and the staff. You can't do that. And that's why we were able to write a check for over $40,000 for students because so many of you are faithful in this way. Now, here's the question as it sets us up for the rest of the morning. Do you know... How long it took us to raise $40,000 in two weeks? Think about that. Do you know how long it took for us to raise $40,000 in two weeks? Your answer might be the obvious one. Yeah, Matt, it took two weeks, dummy. Did you not pass algebra in high school? The answer is no, I didn't. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. Do you know how long it took us to raise $40,000 in two weeks? It took 15 years. Or there just about. Because this church has been around for almost 15 years. And for 15 years, we have been working on how to get to the place where we can take care of our normal needs and then be more generous. And you guys, I mean, you guys, I've just decided we're going to make this possible. And it's because some of you have made the decision to have a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially. And your plan makes things like be rich and stuff for our students. It makes it possible. Your plan, I mean, just think about this. Your plan on how your money is going to be given is why we have this incredible facility that once upon a time was a grocery store. Some of you are sitting in the meat section, way in the back, right over there. You guys in the back over there, you're in the wine section, and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, I knew it. I knew this is where we should be sitting today. Yeah, that used to be where the wine spirit's over there. But we took this, this grocery store and made this an incredible facility because you guys had a plan. Your plan when you walk through um, 
Wombaland, which is our littlest kids' environments, and elementary, which is upstreet, and our students, your plan is why we resource them, and they're back there having the time of their lives. I mean, if you went back there, you would never want to come into this room again because it's so much fun over there. They're dancing, they're singing, they're throwing pies at each other, but more importantly than that, don't get any ideas with that, more importantly than that, they're learning that God loves them and Jesus wants to be their friend. Your plan that you have for your finances is why we're going to send a gob of kids to camp this summer and make it affordable for them. Your plan is why, and I'm telling you, I die on this hill, why we have what I believe is the greatest church staff in the whole world. And I put our team against anybody's team because they're amazing. And you help make that possible. Your plan for giving or maybe I should say some of your plan, some of you that have a plan for giving is why when people's marriages get all in a mess, we're able to help them and guide them and direct them and maybe help them with counseling. You're the reason for that. That, that does not magically appear. I did not go in my backyard and say, God, I need money to help buy this building. And God provided a treasure chest in my backyard that I just had to undig, right? You guys made that happen. And in these moments, I never know how to do this well. Just give me some grace on this. When I think about all that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I don't know how we'd be here without you. Because we wouldn't be here without you. And you just need to know if you've been part of that, I just need to say thank you. But the other part of that, that's where I'm going today, is the fact that only about 26% of you have a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially. And that means 26% of you give, you know, three to four times a year at minimum. Now, when I read this, see, this is where guys like me will launch into how bad everyone is and the church doesn't care and people in our culture, you know, they quit on God. You know, when I read this, and I think only 26% of our people, which by the way, is 6% higher than the national average. So we're 6% better than churches across the country because the normal number is 20%. It's the 80-20 rule. But when I read that, I think this is not your fault. And I mean this, this is my fault. Because somehow as a leader, we, we've grown this church and amazing things have happened. But somehow I have not taught us and led us in a way that we realize that generosity is part of this. And when we talk about generosity in the church, it's, it's really not just a, hey, we've got to pay our bills. It's much more than that. See, this is around the idea that we follow Jesus our faith was never meant to be something we just believe. Like, okay, I believe, that's good, that's all I have to do. See, Jesus called us to believe, and then he called us to follow and do. And we don't do to get into heaven, we don't do so God will love us. Those things are not about what you do, but it's about what's been done for me that I want to do about other people. And you may not you know, realize this, but we think Jesus should be our king. We think Jesus should be our Lord. And here's the crux of this. If we think Jesus is our Lord, like, hey, you're the Lord of my life, Jesus. He's got to be Lord of everything. And for me, it's so easy to go be Lord of this and this and this, um, but not things like my money, my finances. And what we find from Jesus is that what I do with my money is evidence of what is most important to me. And not just like a one-off thing, like my used car blow, blew up, so I had to buy another used car. That's not what we mean. But the consistent directions that our money goes will tell us is an indicator what is most important to us. And Jesus comes along and he says, simple, if you follow your money, you'll follow where your heart is, what you value most. And that's true whether you believe in Jesus or not, isn't it? I mean, that's just logical. 
Listen, if I want to know what matters most, I just need to look at what I'm spending my money on, and that'll tell me what matters most. And Jesus said this statement, for where your treasure is and where your treasure isn't, it tells you something. So can I ask you a question? And I know this is heavy. And if you're visiting, man, you just get to watch us squirm through this. If you don't believe, you get to watch us struggle with this. But this is a real issue for us. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? What matters most? I read this in an article this week, and we're not going to do this. But you know years ago that they used to like publish what people gave to their local church in the church bulletin? Like you'd open up the bulletin. Can you imagine how awful this would be? You open up the bulletin, and there would be the names, and here's what you give. And I thought to myself, for me, not for you guys, but for me, if I opened up the bulletin, people saw what I gave to my local church, would I be proud? Or would I be embarrassed? And Jesus says where your treasure is an indicator of something. And again, if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, I don't want to be a Christian if this was what it entails, right? But this is part of the gig because we've said to Jesus, you're our Lord of everything. And he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know where your heart is? Just look where your finances go. Look where your money is spent. And if we say, Jesus, you're my king, but I'm not thinking about you involving my finances, that is a, a problem. And again, what I do with my money is evidence of what's most important to me. And this is where Jesus just calls us out and calls me out. This is where it's a struggle because this is a following thing. Now remember, we're not here just to believe. In fact, I'll, I'll say this for the umpteenth time. Some of you quit on church because you're around Christians that said, I believe, but they didn't act anything like what they believed in. And we've decided as a church, we're going to try and be fully surrendered in all things to Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Now, with that said, can I just speak to the men in the room for a minute? Because, men, I think this is harder for us than it is the women in the room. Women, I may be wrong. Women online, I may be wrong. you got to figure this out. But, men, I am one of you. You may not believe that. You may think, no, Matt, they just, like, keep Matt under the stage. And then when it's time for him to talk, they open up a trap door. He comes out, and he says really funny things, and he's really good looking. That may be you, what you think my job is here. I thought that would make somebody laugh. Now, I am one. And I was one before I became a pastor. And when I retire, I still will be one. And, men, listen, money means something to us. You may have never thought about this, but money, it means security. It's how we protect and take care of our families, and that's why we hold it so very close. It's our identity. This is what I have. This is what I drive. This is where I can vacation. This is what I have in my safe. This is stuff that means something to me, and I, I get that. But men, because our identity and our security are so wrapped up in our finances and what we have and don't have, we hold on to this so very tight. We grip it until our knuckles are white. It's why your wife can't get you to let her buy something other than what's on sale and you're driving her crazy with it. I get it. That's a good practice. But it's so hard, right? And I've noticed this with myself and for men. Men, we... We don't fully surrender to God when we raise our hand during a prayer necessarily. Sometimes we do, but not necessarily. We don't surrender to God when we start to sing the songs or we go on a retreat for so many men, and I've heard this over and over again. I surrendered to God when I said, God, you're the Lord of every part of my life, including my, oh, no, not my money, but okay, my money too. And I've heard all these stories of men that say that was the moment. That was the moment that I was surrendered to God and my life really changed. 
Because if he could change where my security was coming from, he could change everything else. But this is what we do, men, and maybe women, you do this too. We say, no, okay, God, you can invade my life every part, but let, let's not pay attention to my finances. In fact, as a, as a pastor, I have heard the craziest things from people about their marriages, about their habits, about their sex life, about their things they've done wrong. Their, I mean, just crazy things, stuff that I want to say to them, hey, you shouldn't tell me that. I mean, you don't know me well enough to tell me that. You shouldn't tell me that. But if I mention money, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll tell you about my misdeeds when I was in college, but I don't want to talk about my money. In fact, for you, you may be thinking that right now. Just address it. You may be thinking, crap, I got up on a rainy Sunday morning and I came to church and I have to hear about giving and generosity. That's, that's a normal thing for all of us. I understand that. God, I don't want you to mess with this part of my life. Until. Until you hit a really hard bump. Financially. Until you get laid off. Or you have an extreme medical bill. Or you're upside down in your house payment. And in that moment, we shift, don't we? I do too. We go from God, I don't want you to be involved in this part of my life. My finances are mine. To God, come in fully and help. God, you got to provide. God, you got to be there. God, you got to show up. You got to help me figure this out. And I think those are prayers you should pray. So don't hear anything different than that. But when we do that, like God, no. And then God, come on in because I need you now. It makes us, the people that we really are disturbed by most and that are hypocrites. And you don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to be a hypocrite. And this isn't about, hey, I gave to be rich, although I'm really thankful for those that you did. This isn't about putting a little bit in at the end of the year to make yourself feel better. This is a fact that we've been invited by Jesus to surrender our entire life to him and say, God, everything. And here's the cool thing. God never takes everything. That's an amazing thing. Now for me, this isn't a terribly hard concept for me to understand for this one reason. I was raised in a house for my dad and my mom, but my dad really bought into this idea. And he, he would talk to us, and parents, you should think about this. He would talk to us as kids about why we tithe. We give 10% to our church, and then we give more. When we feel like God's doing something else, we'll give on top of that. I remember hearing that my whole life, and it never made sense to me. This is a true story until I was 15 years old. At 15, when I, at least when I was 15, 1985, the one thing you wanted more than anything else was a Trans Am, right? I wanted a Trans Am because then the girls would like me, and I'd be cool if I had a cool car. I drove an 80, 1980 Oldsmobile Omega, which was not cool at at all. I mean, I needed a Trans Am. And my dad had left his giving statement out on the counter of our house. And I came home and I went, whoa, what's this? And I looked at how much my dad had given to the church the previous year, my parents. And I couldn't believe it. And I went to my dad and I'm like, dad, I could buy a Trans Am with this. We would be so, I'd be so cool. And he sat, sit down. We don't buy cars with what's God's. Because it's God's and he's doing something in the church. He's doing something in our world. And I will never forget that. And so for me, this isn't a foreign concept, but maybe this is a new idea for you. And that's okay. And you don't need to get there today all the way. You just need to know this, that you and I, we need this more than the church needs this. Because the thing I don't want to surrender to God the most is typically the stuff I have. At the center of this, this is about following Jesus. And maybe if you were never taught that, 
I'm teaching it to you today. Because my job, and I don't think I've done a good job at this, is to help the other 74% of us at least get our minds wrapped around this. Now with that said, the reason this is such a challenge, maybe you weren't taught this, but I think the other reason this is such a challenge is we prefer intervention over prevention every time. And you know what that means. It's easier to ignore your health, and then when your health gets bad, go to the doctor and say, Doc, give me a pill to fix it. It's easier than living a healthy lifestyle. It's easier not to practice the fundamentals of marriage, of, you know, serve and put her first, put him first, than it is when your marriage is falling apart to run to somebody and say, fix us. Isn't there a way to fix us? It's easier with your financial principles of life to say, listen, I'm going to say no to some stuff. I'm going to buy used cars. I'm not going to go into debt. It's easier to not do that and then to try and get someone to bail you out of all your financial credit card problems down the road. It's just easier for intervention than it is for prevention. Because for all of us, intervention solves a problem. And when we solve a problem, it's exciting. It's thrilling. When we handed out those checks for the students last month, I mean, my heart was beating out of my chest. And listen, we're going to continue to do that, and we're not going to stop doing that. But it solves a problem. Intervention, though, prevents a problem. And preventing a problem is always better than solving a problem. Wouldn't you rather, instead of being cured of a disease, avoid the disease altogether? Wouldn't that be the better path? Instead of being cured, I want to avoid it altogether. And intervention giving is emotional and the results are measured. I can tell you how many shoes we put on, how many kids and how much we spent and how many people were affected. I can tell you, I can define it, which is really fun. And again, we're going to keep doing it because it's really good. X equals X. One plus one equals two. But prevention giving is neither, but it's far superior. And you guys are smart. You guys understand this. There's not needs I can see, but I know something is happening. And systematic giving, this is a huge deal, to an outward facing church, explain that in a second, is preventative, which means giving systematically to a church that cares about people outside their walls. And I've heard this over and over. You've said, hey, I didn't think I could show up at church. You came here. Something happened and my life began to change. There's story after story because somebody was thinking about you before you ever showed up is a good investment. And what I want is the other 74% of us to get on board with that, to be committed to the next generation. Because you have neighbors that need to know God loves them, and you have children and grandchildren, grandparents. Come on, you may be in a stage where you can do this better than any of us. There are grandchildren of yours in our church that they need to know that God loves them more now than ever. And this is one of the ways we love like Jesus, that we see people come to Christ. And generosity puts fuel in our sails. And I want to give to that. I want to give to prevention giving. But it's not as emotional. Because there's some things that's hard to see. You'll never see the poverty that is prevented. You'll never see the divorce that's prevented. You'll never see the abuse that doesn't happen because the gospel got a hold of somebody. But with intervention, when you intervene in the middle of a problem, I can tell you how many children we helped this fall through the for the students. I can just tell you that. Clothes, coats, time. And we're going to do this next year. What I can't tell you with prevention is, I cannot tell you how many children, students and families found a better life because of the local church. I just can't. I can't tell you how many students avoided drug addiction 
because of our small group leaders and the influence on their parents that they found through our church. I, don't, I can't tell you that, but I am confident that it's happening. I can't tell you how many men and women avoided having an affair in their marriage because they decided to put Jesus principles into work. And if somehow that's a stumbling thing for you in your past, we're so glad you're here. But you would say to all of us, yeah, I never want that to happen for someone else. I can't tell you how many marriages stuck together because someone taught them along the way or they talked about in their small group or somebody in their small group in our church prayed for them. Hey, it's worth the effort. It's worth counseling. It's worth a fight. I can't tell you how many marriages stuck together because of this, but it happens all the time because we hear all the time when I showed up, I didn't think I could come to church. And then I came and God did something to me and it changed everything. I can't measure what we prevented, but we believe we had prevented so much under God's amazing grace. I can't tell you what all happens to all the volunteers, the 400 volunteers that we have throughout our church that work with kids, students, and adults. Or or the impact that having a staff like we have at our church has on our people or the resources that we have. And it's all because we have 2.0 givers. Now here's my job. It's to get the other 74% of us in a place where we're 2.0 giving. And you need to know this. This has never been done before. It's never been done. No church in the history of mankind has ever had everybody as a 2.0 giver. But I'm like, why not try? Because look what we've been able to accomplish up to this point. For 15 years, we've seen so much happen. And prevention, just to say it again, is better than intervention. Especially when you give towards an outward-facing church. And I want you all to join us. So here's the principle behind this. Because I don't want to just leave you hanging like, yeah, that makes sense, Matt. But what do I do? Here's what I would tell anybody and everybody, including my kids, which one of them is on the front row right now. Is this the, this is the way we've encouraged people to live for years at our church. Because we think this is what Jesus said. To give, to save, and to live on the rest. Let me just say what that means. You give a percentage ahead of time. And no matter what the percentage is, you have to decide that for our family. It's never anything but a minimum of 10%. And I don't say that to brag. I just need you to know. I would not ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. That would be hypocritical of me. And so I give first. And for us, it's 10%. And then for us as a family, we save the next 10%. Now listen, this is a huge deal. Because if you do not save, in the future there's some kind of storm or a bump in the road and you have no savings, you put your family in jeopardy. And so it's really important that these two go together. And here's the beautiful thing, you live on the rest. And I think you can live on the rest relatively um, guilt-free. And you pick the church that you want to give it to and then you give and then you save and you watch things happen. Here's what I would say to you. Some of you are so skeptical. And in fact, some of you, and I recognize this, are like, oh, this is just killing me. I didn't want to hear this today. I get it. It's hard. But I'm living in this for years, and it has been the best thing financially for our family because we've been able to support the local church. We've been able to save some money and live on the rest. Try this for six months. See if it doesn't work. Try it for a year. See if it doesn't work. And now if you're here and you're like ambitious and you're like, well, Matt, tell us how we do this because I've never been in church and you don't pass the buckets. I mean, you just throw the money up in the air and the angels grab it out of the air. That'd be really cool, right? The easiest way is, is, is grab our app. We have this really cool app you can download for Androids and Apple um, products, the iPhone, and you jump on the app, you go to the next page on the app and you'll see this little give button and it'll take you right to it. 
And you can set up giving. Or you can do this whole crazy thing. We talk about this all the time. Give now. You text give now to 21,000. And if you do that, we'll help you set it up. And I know maybe for some of you, you need to think about this. And you probably should think about this. Because remember, this is having a plan for where you plan to spend your money. And hang on if you've decided I'm resisting all this. Hang on with me to the end, okay? Don't shut me off. I need to say something at the end of all of this. This is really important. But for those of you who are like, yeah, you know what? It makes sense. And I care about the church. I love this church. It's helped me in so many ways. And I want to be a Jesus follower. These are the easiest ways to do that. Now, as a cheesy commercial part of this, I decide to say this. Don't procrastinate. Automate isn't that awesome. Because when you automate your giving, it means it reoccurs. And I say this all the time. It means when you forget to do this, it automatically happens for you. But this is why, again, we don't have to pass the buckets And when we harness the power of generosity in our church, you've seen what can happen. And it's about being open-handed to God. Let me just address maybe an objection. You you may go, Matt, I don't trust you. And, And I don't necessarily trust this church. I get it. Hang around and decide. If you continue not to trust us, and I totally don't want this to happen, but if you decide, I don't trust you, then you need to find a church you trust and give to that church. But if you're a Jesus follower, you just can't hold it all to yourself. And here's why. Because if you only give to a church that needs your money, in other words, you look around here and go, look at all the lights and look at all the environments. They don't need my money. You guys with me on that? But you won't attend a church that needs your money. Let me tell you what that means. The pastor gets up every Sunday and he has tears in his eyes and he holds his chest. He says, if you guys don't give today, we're not going to be able to turn on the heat and the lights won't work. So you're going to have to give, right? Have you ever heard a pastor do that? It's awful. Or if you don't give today, there won't be Cheerios and Wombaland and we won't be able to buy diapers and there'll be poop everywhere if you don't give today. You ever had a pastor say that? We're going to close down. You don't want to attend a church like that. It's a miserable experience to hear that every Sunday. So, if you only give to a church that needs your money, but you won't attend a church that needs your money, you'll never give to a church you actually attend. And again, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But that's why we have to be 2.0 givers and not just needy givers. That's why I want everybody to become a preventative giver. I want everybody to say, you know what? I want to prevent things and not just intervene things. Now, to wrap this up, and I'm almost done. You guys are great, by the way, this morning. I want to do this out of a place of love and not a place of guilt. Because I don't think guilt gets us anywhere. And I certainly don't want to do the whole magic thing. You know what the whole magic thing is? If you give us $1, you're going to get 10 back from God. And if you give us $100, you get $1,000 back to God. And the people that teach that they don't really believe it because if they really believed it, they would just give everything away and watch their, just have mountains of money, right? That's what they would do. And so this is not even about being blessed, although I think being generous does bless you. This is about surrendering Jesus, our lives to Jesus. This is a response to that while we were still sinners, God gave his only son. See, giving, generosity, is an appropriate response to God's gift to us. That's why it's easy for some of us to give because we realize what was given to us and we're joining our heavenly father. And here's what you need to know. 
God chose the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. God chose the church to give the message of the hope of the world that Jesus could save us from our sins and give us eternal life. This is why some of you have decided to be generous to your local church. This is why you believe the local church is the greatest investment outside of your family you could ever make. There's nothing better than local church. So here's what I'd love for you to consider. This is your church. And again, if you're visiting, if you're not sure you believe, all those things, we just want you to come back. But if this is your church and you're a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to come up with a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially. Because you don't want to be average. You don't want to be in the 74th percentile of people that are like, yeah, Christmas and Easter and be rich. I'll I'll give a couple of dollars. But listen, I'm not going to really open up my hands to God. And I love this thought that when John 3.16 was written, it says, for God so loved the world that God God gave not 10%, not 20%. He gave everything he had for his church that we would know God personally. And not just wait till we needed him, he was preventative. Do you know that God gave his son 2,000 years ago before you even heard the name of Jesus? Now here's what you need to know. This is a huge deal. I want to end with this and nothing else. I hope you do this. I hope you do this for you and the next generation. I hope you do it because your kids see you do it. I hope you talk about it on the, on the dinner table. But if you walk out of here and you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. We'll still be here for you. And even if you never give a dime and you call and you need help, we'll try and figure out how to help you. And we'll love your kids. Our small group leaders will sit with your teenagers and hear their struggles and their trials. When it comes time for you to face the hardest things, we'll try and help along the way, whether you give or not. That is our commitment because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. I just want you to be a part of making that happen for somebody else because it's exactly what God did for us when we needed him the most. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. First of all, to you, God, for giving your son Jesus for us and the forgiveness of our sins. I'm also so very grateful for the people in this place that have been generous with their time, the way they love, and specifically today, Jesus, for their financial generosity. The fact that we've gotten to be a part of so many wonderful things because of the gospel. I just ask that you'd help us to think through this, see this clearly, and Lord, maybe be willing to pry open our hands with things that matter most to us and surrender them to you. I pray that this would not get in the way in any way of our relationship with you and walking towards you for anybody in the room or online. Thanks for your immense love for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.